Today is Tuesday, April 19th, 2022, and this is an interview with Tanner Poppet by Nick Perkel. Now, Tanner, tell me about getting your very first instrument. So, very first instrument I actually got was the flute in elementary school because we had to, we were assigned a an instrument. We had to kind of pick one. So, mm-hmm. I picked the flute because I thought it would be the easiest, and it turns out it was way wrong because it was really fucking hard for me to have to we uh, have to kind of familiarize myself with how to actually make notes out of that thing because you have to blow at an angle. So it was kind of a clusterfuck, I will say. But uh, yeah, flute was my first instrument. Now, um, what did you get um, as your first like string or percussion instrument? Okay, this okay again. So I was in elementary school again, and one of the so immediately after the flute, I picked up the ukulele because again, it was a course. I was strumming the ukulele. I loved that. And then like a couple years later, I got my first guitar when I was around 13, 12 or 13 years old. So that would have been uh, a kind of a knockoff of, uh, of the Randy Rhodes uh, Flying V. It was a, it's called a JB player, but that was my first, first guitar that I had gotten from my dad's friend uh, at the time. So, yeah, I was... But it was a Christmas present, and uh, yeah, that was my first hmm. first guitar, a JB player. So, now, what kind of music education classes have you been a part of, from like classes when you were younger, private tutors, conservatories? What did you have under your belt? When I first started playing, I was taking lessons immediately, and this I, you had to take one-on-one lessons, and I'm sure people still do, hopefully. Uh, but at that time, that was kind of my main. Thing. So I went to uh, a guy named Billy Alexander, and it was once a week. It was like every Saturday morning or whatever, and did that for maybe about a year and then moved on to uh, a guy by the name of Mark Seal, who's uh, pretty well known in the like in, um, almost like finesse players kind of thing, like a, like a Ingve or like a Steve Vai kind of guy. He's one of those guys where it's like all instrumental. He just rips and shreds. So I was taught by him for... A couple of years, he actually taught me how to hold the pick properly, so I owe a lot to that. So that was a couple of years, and after that, I kind of took some courses from for like piano. And again, this is all school-related stuff, so it was a requirement. So piano classes, I took a couple vocal lessons uh, here and there, but mainly, I've been kind of like self-taught after the lessons. I actually would like to go back to Mark, but because uh, he taught me just so much stuff. But yeah, that's pretty much. And the Reader's Digest version, as I call it, as far as, as the lessons go. Now, can you tell me about the history of Madrost and some of your favorite memories over the years? Oh, man. You, you got an hour? <laughs> <laughs> so, but, so we started in, in July of 2007. Again, during the time when MySpace was just booming, uh, there was nothing but deathcore bands out here. It, I'm particularly from Orange County. I don't know where it is in your specific area, but out here, it was primarily deathcore in the mid 2000s, and I didn't want to really. I didn't feel like that represented metal to me, so I kind of wanted to make my own band. And, and essentially, it's like, what what kind of band do I want to hear live? And and kind of that's how Madras kind of formed out of like, you know, a couple of previous bands that I was in. A lot of lineup changes within the first five to six years. And so 
during that time, we done we did a tour, released our first album, Maleficent, in 2012. Then, a, you know, the whole band kind of leaves after that, and I'm having to start fresh again in like 2013. And this is when we get so many great opportunities, like we played Thrasher to Mile, thanks to the the Fuel by Fire guys for that. And so I had to essentially find a whole new band within like a course of I would say two months uh, to in order to do that. And luckily, it happened. We get to you know record uh, into the aquatic sector in 2014. Comes out, does very well for us. A couple years after, it was 2017. So that's when we did the Essence of Time matches, No Flesh who I got to work with Tony Cole for the first time. And our and again, it's all, I'm trying to give you the Reader's Digest version because it's a lot of stuff. Uh, and, y- you know, that did extremely well for us. Did so, uh, some touring on it. It got our name out there again and again. Got picked up by uh, No Life Tomato Records in 2020 uh, because they loved The Essence of Time Matches No Flesh so much. So, they offered to, you know, say, hey, do you want to work with us in the near future? And essentially what ended up happening is, as I said, well, it just so happens I have an album in the can. That album was Charming the Rotting Earth because it had just gotten recorded and mixed and mastered and the artwork from Tony and whatnot. So it was like all ready to go. So it was like the perfect storm. And then obviously the pandemic hits. And in that meantime, I've done a couple projects which i can i can tell you about i've done a couple almost archive projects for me because i've always wanted to go back into the archives and release some stuff to the public to help preserve the early days of the band so i found like five or six kind of live albums and i'm picking the best two so i'm in the middle of releasing that publicly and that'll that'll probably be out around next year but in the meantime yeah, I've been doing a couple couple of those things, and a demo compilation is soon to be released as well on uh, New Life to Metal Records. So that's essentially, again, the Reader's Digest version of the band's career in a nutshell. So, Who's your favorite guitarist? Tell me your favorite album from them, and what did they do to make that album so amazing? Frank Marino uh, from Frank Marino and Mahogany Rush from Mahogany Rush. Um Pretty much the guy is is the best guitar player of all time, hands down. It's a guy that hardly anybody uh, mentions or even recognizes, sadly. So Frank Marino is, to me, the best of the best. And the particular album that I really got into was uh, Mahogany Rush 4. And he just has so much flavor in his playing. Come to find out years later that he doesn't really write he doesn't have like stuff planned. He just like writes that day and then records that same day, which is amazing in 1970, whatever. What he did to make that specific album so amazing was just the, the overall vibe and flavor of it. And I just really loved him as, as a player. He would, he would, you know, he would put in keyboards and he would just take chances that no other guitar player would uh, around those days and just, you know, if he could do it and make it sound so heavy and bluesy and just, I mean, shreddy. Without Frank, I don't think there are a lot of the 80s players. So, yeah, Frank Marino, Mahogany Rush 4, if you don't have it, highly suggest you uh, go pick it up because uh, it's amazing. Now, what's the process you go through to compose a new song? So, with that in mind, I'm the kind of guy that has to work as a team here. 
I like to have a writing partner. So usually what ends up happening nowadays, uh, especially with the last two records in question that we put out with this specific lineup, uh, me and Big get together, um, hash out some some beats on you know superior drummer. So that's kind of like our our uh, our starting point, as it were. Like if we like a beat, we'll try and write a riff around that specific beat, and then it kind of just leads into another riff. What can we put out after this? Oh, this should be would be a killer bridge part. So it's all an amalgamation of like mine and and Big Cat's riffs. And that's just musically speaking. And then what I'll do is, is because I, I like to structure everything. If I'm playing and singing at the same time, usually what ends up happening is I like to write all the lyrics because I like to be able to play and sing them, be able to sing what's coming from me and not anybody else. So I take them home, rearrange everything. And then I, you know, once the song is kind of structured to where I want it, then I'll write the lyrics around it and then show the, we'll show the rest of the guys after we get a full blown to like here, here you go. Like, what do you think of it? And typically it ends up working out a hundred percent of the time. Uh, but that in a nutshell is kind of where we're at today as far as songwriting. Now, what techniques like using odd time signatures, experimenting with arpeggios, palm muting and things of that nature, did you use to write charring the rotted earth? So on charring the rotting earth, uh, we experimented more with other kinds of instruments. What can we get away with doing in this band? Because we have found there, there, there are always these trends in metal. What first was kind of like the thrash thing in the, the two thousands into the heavy metal thing in the tens and whatnot. And, and the death metal thing that's happening now. So it's like, how can we set ourselves apart? Okay. Let's infuse other kinds of instruments that nobody else will touch. I don't know, some violins and cellos and keyboards and all orchestrated pieces. So we liked, I like to experiment with that kind of stuff mixed in with some obviously arpeggios throughout the solos and whatnot, because it wouldn't be, it wouldn't sound cool during the riffs. I'm, I'm not Yngwie. Uh, so I can't really get away with that. But what I like to typically do is I take it from a musical level, like, so if I'm the listener, if I'm you listening to us, what will I want to hear? What what would I what would intrigue me as a listener to go like, that's fucking awesome. I love this. And essentially that's kind of what I was incorporating in terms of, you know, structurally and 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 kind of just trying to experiment with other instruments. And our odd time signatures are mainly three four to four four on this particular um thing here with this particular record so odd time odd timing wise we kind of experimented that more in like into the aquatic sector days i would say this is more kind of structurally three four to four four but it experiments a lot more with with variety uh, of instrumentations and and music in general because i'm a music fan now where did the live tracks come from on that album and can you tell me a bit about your memory of that show from into the aquatic sector. Sure, sure. So you're you're talking the reissue that just came out. Yeah. Uh, so that actually was from around 2016. I think that was Jan- January, January 30th, the end of January. Yes, January 30th of 2016. We actually played a show with with Heretic and uh, and Tormentor and uh, Scrap Metal and whatnot. 
and basically, and, and Hyrax, can't forget them. So, you know, we were, I think, second or third on the bill, and it was just a raging show. I mean, that's, that's what we do. So it was Caesar on drums, it was uh, Big Cat on guitar, Richard on, on uh, bass, and then myself on vocals and guitar. And I just have had it in the vault for so long. And so when I got the opportunity to reissue uh, the uh, Into the Aquatic Sector record, why not give you know somebody who maybe already owns the record another reason to buy the same album? But here's a little bonus. And especially for those who didn't get the opportunity to buy it when it first kind of came out, it's like now is your opportunity to do it. And, and you get this kind of killer bonus material so this is a full-blown live record there are no overdubs again mistakes and all warts and all this is kind of what it is my memories from that particular show were it, that it was packed it was hot and we as soon as i remember getting this story afterwards where because heretic was gonna would followed us on that show and and i guess julian the singer of, Her of heretic turned over to angelo uh their bassist and said we got to follow that. So to me, that essentially is, is probably the reason why I, I picked that to include on the into the aquatic sector reissue, just because it just made sense to put it on that specific uh, record and whatnot. I didn't want to just kind of willy-nilly just throw it out there. So this kind of just made sense. This was my opportunity. Why not? Now, how long have you been doing your podcast, and what are your three favorite interviews? So the podcast, you're talking Poppet's Corner started in January of 2018 and and I had started it because I saw a need in this particular community because we have so many killer bands and I'm sure it's like your uh, respectable uh podcast and whatnot is you saw a you saw kind of a need right and so you wanted to say you know tell yourself like how can I f expose this and and support this even more than you know other people are because nobody was doing it. And again, I'm in Orange County. To me, we have some of the best bands ever in this particular region and nobody was documenting it. So it, it, in those regards, I was like, this needs, we need to have something. So in order to have change, you got to be the change. And that was kind of just the right time where I was like, fuck it. Why not start a podcast? It's, I know all these people already, I can grab on one or, or two of them at a time. I typically do a one-on-one -on -one cause it's just difficult to get guests in because they didn't understand the format of it. And I, I don't do, you know, 30 minute interviews. I kind of tend to stretch it out a little bit and go through the guests entire musical career. So it's a little bit different than other podcasts and I get it. And, you know, it's not, it's not easy to take in for a first time listener, but we do have, the show does have rabid fans I can tell you that much. I've been getting hit up a lot lately in the past four to five years from it. So I'm eternally grateful. But at that time, it was really difficult to get a guest. So thankfully, I had, you know, Eric Klubler uh, from Void Vader and then Gypsy Hawk and, and uh, all these killer bands and whatnot. Overloaded was one. And he was in a band called Iron Knot. And he just kind of he was like, yeah, let's, let's see what happens. And I was like, fuck yeah. So that was kind of, he, he gave me that opportunity to do it. Three favorite interviews. I would say that's like picking your kids. It's like telling somebody to pick your kids or your favorite album or song, or it, that's entirely difficult. But 
I'll give you three that are that are really they they hit they come to mind when when you when uh, you had asked me this. One was interviewing Frank Marino. So I got the opportunity to interview my all-time favorite guitar player. I interviewed him a couple years back during the pandemic. He was so nice. I literally asked him, hey, Frank, how much time can I get with you? He said, all the time in the world. So we got to chat for about two and a half hours of just his whole career from beginning to end, a 50-year retrospective. And that was the coolest thing for me, just as a fan. And to, to be honest, I haven't heard it back, so I don't know how I did. But you again, I keep getting hit up with like, oh, that was like one of the best interviews ever. So, you know going to just listen to you guys on that one but that's that's one that comes to mind one that hits close to home for me personally is a band that nobody nobody knows it's it's a band called Visceral Decay and it just hits home for me personally because a I loved the band when it, they first came out b um it was during the Hoagie Bar Michaels days it was during our early years and it just like I have this platform I want to document that era of myself and obviously of, of visceral decay and whatnot. And hmm. it was just, it's just, nobody has that interview. And I love those interviews where like, nobody has this. So what makes Poppets Corner special to me is, is that is having that variety of like, yeah, I'll interview big guys like Blaze Bailey and Doro Pesh and, and, and Frank Marino and, you know, Leda Leone and whatnot. But I also love interviewing guys that like guys and gals that I just, have inspired me such as the ones I just named earlier and, and the guys in heretic and just so many people that nobody will document because they don't have a quote unquote new record out. So I want, I would, I'm trying to change that. And, and again, because I had the Avenue, it's like, why not? Why not do something different than every other podcaster or, or, or radio guy? So that would be my number two. Number three would be my boy, Mr. Shannon Fry. It was uh, of Avenger of Blood. I got to go out to Vegas to interview him. It was really cool because we did an interview in the hotel room that I, w- that I was staying at because I, I'm really into bowling. So my bowling league goes to Vegas every year. And uh, Shannon Fry of Avenger of Blood just happened to be one of the biggest Poppets Corner fans ever had no idea he just randomly hit me up you know because of the the heretic interviews i guess he's a huge heretic fan and so am i and it's like we bonded over that got to meet got i got to uh, uh, one of the coolest interviews with him and again he's a guy that nobody talks to he's a guy that was prominent in a scene in the new wave of thrash scene that just never got his due nobody ever kind of interviewed him which is a shame because that band fucking rules if you haven't heard of Avenger of Blood, highly suggest it. You go and uh, and check it out, Death Brigade or, or Onslaught Ground or Complete Annihilation. But yeah, so that was be my number three because it was my first time out of like state. It was like really cool to be like, oh, I can take this on the road and see what happens. And that was right before the pandemic. So yeah, that those would be my the three that come to mind when you had asked me that. So awesome. Now, how many songs do you have composed for your next release? Uh, none because, uh, so, because obviously right now as of this moment and it's, and again, it's easy for us to write songs. So I'm not worried on that. I'm worried on my playing ability because I, I got diagnosed with nerve, I have nerve damage in both my arms now. So I'm seeing um, a physical therapist. I'm working through it. I'm lifting weights. I'm doing all the, you know, eating way too much that I, I guess I need to, and I fucking hate it. 
but it's part of the deal. I'm trying to get through it. Um, and so at that moment, it's like, I need to be able to first relearn how to play guitar and then I can start to write music again. So it's, you got to walk before you run. And, and I'm not the only one that's experiencing, you know, kind of these same health issues. I've been talking to a lot of, uh, people on, on Poppet's Corner and whatnot in our community and they're in the same boat. So I don't feel bad. I don't want anybody to feel bad for me, but I'm just kind of working through it. I hope I have everybody's support, you know, coming back into it and just, I'm, I'm planning on, on just coming out kicking and screaming after this. So that's where I'm at in terms of that goes, but yeah, no songs written for, for the new record as of yet, but you know, it will happen. Now, what is your favorite college radio show or podcast? That's like again, that's like picking picking your kids there, or <laughs> picking my favorite podcast episodes. And I can probably ask you the same same question here. But uh, I would say there's there's two that come to mind uh, that are some of my absolute favorites, and it's because it relates. The, the first one relates solely to music. There's no bullshit. There's no politics. There's no any of that shit. And it's called Shockwave Skull Sessions with Bob Nobandian. He's a good friend of mine. I had the pleasure and honor of interviewing him as well with Matt Harnett, his co-host. But yeah, they just like to interview the guys, interview like a one-on-one or something or a particular scene and go through, you know, some killer history that you would never hear otherwise. Like, again, just like Poppet's Corner, it's like nobody else has this. So Shockwave Skull Sessions was kind of a big influence on on me starting Poppet's Corner and whatnot. And the other one that I absolutely love is the Classic Metal Show. Again, I'm on the same network as them, and a huge shout-out to to those guys. But yeah, they're just funny. There's a little bit more politics involved in that one. But I love their delivery. I love the you know their kind of attitude and opinions of everything that's going on in this world. So that that relates a lot to me personally and i love their takes on hot button kind of topics and issues and thing they're they're not afraid to say what what all of us are thinking so those are me those would be <laughs> my two uh right now as as of this moment yeah i really really loved uh select your trash from uh, x-ray out in portland when that was around and uh i guess nowadays though um neil winnell from chicago you know neil winnell's metal mouth I mean, love that dude, fucking awesome, and uh, he's been doing it forever. So, horns to him. What What about those two podcasts? I know this is off topic, but what about those? Do it for you. I would say, um, with Selector Trash, it was just there was kind of like a real kind of like I don't know natural progression into like a wild state with the show where you have like some kind of like fun rock and roll at the beginning. Where it's kind of like you know. People talk about, like, classic metal albums where it's just, like, you know, you, you take something like the Rigor Mortis album or the Ultraviolence by Death Angel where it's just, like, you, you have those instrumentals where it's just, like, it, it slowly builds up into an awesome force where it's just, like, nowadays it's just, like, zero to a hundred. I mean, you need to go from, like, zero to 20 to 50 to 70 to a hundred, you know? And, um, I don't know, it was just, I don't feel like a lot of people that, that run, like, these metal shows today are putting in enough, like, rock and roll at the beginning of it. 
and stuff like that to, to give you kind of like a step into it. And um, I guess so, not to cut you up. So is that because that might be because of like licensing things, right? Because they don't can't. Are you talking intro music and and adding music into their said podcast? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter, though. But I mean, it's just like if you're smart, you don't have to put in something by like Guns N' Roses or the Rolling Stones at the start because of licensing issues. You should be knowledgeable about some of the musicians in your area. But, I mean, the thing is, too, it's just like, you know, it's fun to kind of, like, look up some good rock and roll, and it, it doesn't have to just be, like, blasting death metal the whole time. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. So you talk – okay. I Yeah, I could see that. That So, again, to me, that's the beauty thing about podcasts. There's so many varieties of them, you know? Yeah. So it's – it's there's there's one out there for everybody, I yeah. say. No, and I think what you're doing is great on here, man. You yeah. Keep going on it. And Neil I mean, he's extremely supportive to the Chicago metal scene as well as a good historical face to it. Because, I mean, everybody's always like, oh, you know, there's the New York metal scene. Oh, there's the Texas metal scene. Oh, there's the West Coast scene. And then you got the European scene. And it's just like there's not enough, like, regional things where it's just like – there's something beautiful about trying to make the whole 50 states thing happen. Yeah, and Chicago has one of the most underrated metal scenes in, in probably history, too. Yeah. I mean, dude, you got Master, you got you know Cyclone Temple, you got Snow White, bands of this kind of kind of era. I mean, I, again, these are bands that nobody talks about, sadly, and, and they deserve more credit than... At least for me, they they inspire those bands. All inspired me. So, <laughs> like, yeah. again, speaking for me, but there's there are a lot of those bands everywhere, though, man. Yeah. Orange County, especially L.A., especially so many underrated bands that just don't get the time of day, man. And um, for you, what is your most hallowed print scene in your collection? Hallowed print. You got You got to uh, talk to me like I'm five here. How you mean like uh? Like a physical print magazine that yes. I have in my collection that I, I hold very high. Exactly. Like I'm talking like this is not like a revolver magazine or a metal hammer. This is like say I don't know Head Split or Netherworld or um, Reborn from Ashes or something like that. Oh man, I wish I knew. I wish I knew this earlier. I would have just brought out the magazine. There's there's a Finnish magazine, and maybe because it's not an ego thing at all, but I just thought it was so cool that. Madras was printed in a magazine that was like regional to this specific town, mm -hmm. and I can't remember what it was. I wish again. Is I it wish in I could. Slain? No, it's it's even more obscure than that. Mm. <laughs> um, I'd have to find it and tell you, but gosh, it's escaping me. It's a good question though. Yeah. But um, ah, god damn it. Anyway, my point is, so th that that would be the reason why I would pick that, just because I just thought it was so cool that, for one, it wasn't even in our language. And those guys were kind enough to send me a copy of that said same said magazine, and I think it had Winter Sun on the cover. Wow. And it was just so cool that they took the time to review one of our records in, in their home native language, and it got four out of five axes, so I I think that's good. I didn't I didn't end up translating it later, but... yeah. What are your three most cherished California albums in your collection? Ooh, okay. Wow. 
there's a again way too many. But what what I can give you are the three that come to mind here. There's a band called Fire. It was F I A R. It was a thrash band out of Hemet, California. They only released one full length album. It was DIY, and I was just in the right place, right time, where I was playing shows with them constantly. And I got their their album, and I just love it so much. Still, you know, keep it in my collection. They're signed by all the guys, and because I'm that kind of fan. And again, I'm only only speaking for me. I'm I'm sure there are other people like that. Killer fucking thrash album. Again, the the album is called Illusions of Re- of uh, Reality. There, um, and th- so that would be one. Two for me would be my Tormentor albums. It's uh, Tormentor with an E. It's T O R M E N T E R. Uh, with you know pulse of terror and prophetic deceiver and and their eps and whatnot that would be someone i'm kind of putting in an umbrella here but all my tormentor records killer stuff you can't hardly find it sadly they're just some great records that got put out in in during a time when it's almost like forgotten gems right that don't need to be forgotten so those would be two and i think the third for me again because they only released the one album, maybe this is it. But it would be a band called Scoffin, which, uh, again, a killer thrash band. They released one album called uh, Lucid Persecution. I yes, Lucid Persecution. That was on an album called. It was on a record label called Slaney Records out of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Crazy that they picked up a California band coming out of Ireland. But uh, yeah, those would be my my three most cherished things because. You can't find them anywhere. Now, what is your favorite Matrost-related possession? In ter- okay, are you, you talking merchandise-wise? You talking album-wise? You talking unreleased stuff? Give me something cool what are you, and rare. What are you talking? I mean, it could be anything. Cool it could be like, I don't know, the masters to a demo tape, or like, I remember, um, I think talking to the dude from Exhorter, and he was speaking about like. Um, the half inch tape from his demo or I don't know. It's just like maybe something a fan gave you that they made dedicated to Madrost, a flyer. Um, okay. Maybe okay. A, a magazine I... feature somewhere or an alt weekly. Okay. I can give you one. Uh, that, that would be, so we released a kind of a promo thing when we were on tour during 2018, it was a tour promo only. I think we only pressed like maybe 25 to 50 copies of that. And there were three tracks on it. It was because again, it was new at the time the the uh, essence of time record was. So we put on eyes of the deceit, which was the single uh, into the aquatic sector, which again was off of uh, that, you know, the previous album and an unreleased bonus track that so it's a it's a really rare cover that we were going to put on the essence of time but I didn't know how to do the licensing and I couldn't figure all that stuff out I don't know any of the guys in the band hopefully I can change that but it was a metal church cover it was a ton of bricks and it was kind of like a spur of the moment thing where we wanted to do have a little bonus but this bonus isn't even I mean if you have those copies hang on to them that would be my most cherished ones that we released and in terms of a flyer goes man because i keep a scrapbook so i have all this shit i have way too much of it <laughs> so it would be we played at our high school at a 
at uh, El Toro High School was the name of it in like 2008, 2009, and it was called Bullstock. And I still have the flyer from it and a ticket from that specific show. And it was just, you know, it just brings me back to that time period where it's like, this is freaking awesome to have something that I don't even think anybody in the world has anymore because it's been so long and it's been preserved. But yeah, that would be my most cherished possession. Now, what is your favorite urban legend or ghost story from Southern California? Urban legend. So, um, it's not really an urban legend, so I, it, but it is a true story. I wasn't there for it, so hopefully this can suffice your, your question here. Um, and I'm not trying to kind of sideline from it, but this particular thing, so we always used to play at a place called Hoagie Bar Michaels. It was like the place to go to in like 2007 to like 2010 era, mid-2000s and, you know, and, and to like the 10s. And years before that, because it's located next to a, an airport called John Wayne, it's called John Wayne Airport, uh, one of the planes, I guess, crashed into it years prior. And I just thought it was so cool. And now they had like a plane outside of the venue, like a um, memorial, like a statue for it, the commemorating. It's like, hey, this is part of our history. Uh, the logo even had a plane on it. I just thought it was so rad that like, take something tragic like a plane coming into your 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 establishment uh and kind of cementing that into your history and be and that kind of becomes a part of your history and you're almost proud of that so that would be the i think the coolest not ghost story but the coolest kind of urban legend that's actually true awesome would you like to go back to any questions no dude i just like i said i appreciate a moment of your time to do this hopefully we can we can, you know, bring you on the show any, you know, sometime soon and just talk shop. I, I, I always love picking people's brains and being a part of the conversation. So thank you very much for having me be a part of the, of your conversation here. Final words. Make sure to go pick up, uh, Madrost at, uh, no life to metal records.com, uh, madros.bandcamp.com for all that stuff. Highly su- suggest you support the label podcast is on poppetscorner.com or the CMS network. Uh, dot com and you'll be able to find all that information there but nick thank you very much for a moment of your time to do this with me and uh just appreciate what you do man keep doing it today is tuesday april 19th 2022 and this was an interview with tanner poppet by nick percot